and we are ready to get going. As you're getting back to your seat, let me just ask you a question. I don't know if everybody's participating or not. It is a really good idea. It's a good discipline for your life, and that is to read through the Bible every year. And at First Baptist Church, we set a program that if you want to join with us and you can read through the Bible every year, and typically we start at the beginning and just work through to the end. Sometimes there's other methods, chronological method or whatever, and you jump around a little bit. But uh, if you are a part of that and if you try to systematically read through your Bible, and truly, if you don't, you really should, um, you know, we're late into the year now. We're into September, so you should be pretty close to being into the New Testament by now which means that you've already worked your way through, congratulations, all those Old Testament books and all those books that maybe, you know, are a little boring, like numbers. <laughs> First Chronicles, it starts out with just lists of names and numbers and counting and people and you've got genealogies and you've got all this stuff and, man, if you're really a good Christian, you actually read those words. You know before the Lord you're thinking, I have no clue, and you wouldn't probably say it out loud, but I kind of don't care. <laughs> but I'm reading them, Lord, I'm reading them. Well, hopefully, let's see if we can infuse a little life into some of that part of the Bible. We're currently launching into a new series, and uh, that's called Prime Numbers. And Prime Numbers is selected stories, not every story that comes from the book of Numbers, and if you were with us last week, it was an introductory week for this series, and we kind of gave you an overview of some of those early books in your Bible, in the Old Testament, where the book of Exodus really is the picture of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. You probably know that, and as such, it pictures for us our salvation. The book of Numbers is all about growth, and the book of Joshua, then, is about victory in your life. It's about spiritual maturity. So Numbers covers the time when Israel wandered in the wilderness. And last week we looked at the importance of that time in their life and the events of the life of Israel. We looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, for example, and we saw how they apply to us today. One thing that we probably all should understand by now is that 40 years in the wilderness, that's just too long. That's just too long. It just shouldn't take that long. But God has a purpose for the wilderness as God led them into the wilderness, just like the Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And that is the theme, really, for our study coming through we saw last week. It's to learn to trust the Lord in the midst of trials. You have to learn to trust the Lord. And the Lord loves you enough to allow you to go through difficulties so that you can practice and learn to lean on Him when it really matters when it really counts. Today, we're going to look at the Levitical priesthood. Woo! <laughs> really? Don't check out on me yet, okay? Hang in there. Who are the Levites? So, some of you have a lot of Bible background, but maybe not all of you do, so let me just give you a little bit of background. Historically, in Genesis 29, Levi is the third son of Jacob. And so he's one of the 12 sons of Jacob that make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Levi was the tribe that was chosen to serve as priests of God in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then ultimately when they get a permanent temple in the Holy Land, 
There's a book called Leviticus, Leviticus, if you want to look at it that way. So it literally means the book of the Levites. It is the third book of Moses. Numbers is the fourth book of Moses. This is the book, Leviticus, that contains all the details of carrying out all those Old Testament physical sacrifices and offerings and killing animals and what they represent in the temple. And in your Bible reading annually, as you get to the book of Leviticus, maybe it's a little confusing. Maybe you don't exactly know what that's all about, and maybe you're not 100% dialed in to what that's all about. Well, that may be only because, well, we don't have to perform those sacrifices anymore, thank the Lord. And we think they don't apply to us, but do they? Okay, well, today is not a study of the book of Leviticus. But it is in the book of Numbers, and in the book of Numbers, they do refer to the Levites quite a bit. And that is today's focus. So the title I've given today's message is, What Does the Levitical Priesthood Have to Do With Me? And I think that's a fair question. I mean, really, what does the Levitical Priesthood have to do with me today? Well, I think if you hang with me, then you'll see that it has a lot more than maybe you thought before you came in here today. And we're going to look at two specific areas of the lives of the Levites and see the application that it has for us today. Before we get into our outline, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him to bless our time. So, Heavenly Father, as we come before you in the book of Numbers today, and we're going to learn a little bit about who these Levites are and what they had to do and what does that mean to us. So, Lord, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to see the parallels, that you would help us to see the application practically in our lives today and tomorrow when we go back to work of the Old Testament priesthood. I pray, Lord, that you give us something today that will actually help us. And I know what we're going to be looking into, and so I pray that your spirit would be the teacher. I pray that every single man, woman, boy, and girl here today would get something, because there is something for everyone today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to start out. Number one, the task, the service of the Levites, the service of the Levites. Now, the Levites, as I said, they're, they're kind of special. They're different and distinct from the other 11 tribes. And there's that, that's true for several reasons. Let me just give you a rundown. The Levites are not numbered with the other tribes. Last week we saw Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 3. And Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 3, we saw that God had Moses number all the men from 20 years old and upward of all the tribes, except Levi, except for Levi. They don't count in the midst of the counting of the other tribes. They're all as a whole, but Levi stands separate and distinct. Levi, the tribe of Levi, gets no physical land grant inheritance when they enter the promised land. When they divide up the land according to the tribes, Levi doesn't get any land. And it's very interesting because the Bible says, interestingly, in Numbers chapter 18, that the reason is, is because the Lord himself is their inheritance. That's a pretty good swap. You say, yeah, but there's still 12 tribes. Well, Joseph gets two. He gets Manasseh and Ephraim. So in case you're counting and you're wondering, Levi's out, but Joseph divides into two because Joseph is really cool. The Levites are chosen by God for himself. That's why he is their inheritance. And they're chosen, this is very important, in place of, to replace, in other words, all of the firstborn 
of all of the other tribes of Israel. You recall back in Exodus chapter 12, and we covered this, how when ultimately God went through the land and he killed all the firstborn, the tenth of the ten plagues, and then ultimately if the Israelites would follow God's instructions and take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost, that God would pass over that house that institutes then what we understand to be as the Passover, and then as a result the firstborn of the nation of Israel would not be killed. Well, as a result, God makes it very plain through his Old Testament scriptures that the firstborn are special. The firstborn belong to him. And so God just said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the entire tribe of Levi, and I'm going to take all of them to be as the firstborn to replace all of the firstborn that are born in all the other tribes. Now, that's pretty interesting because ultimately... Their whole lives now as Levites, if you're born into Levi, well, your whole life is set apart to the service of the Lord. In fact, if you go through, you'll find that God does actually number the Levites. But he begins to number them not from 20 years old and upward. He begins to number them from one month old and upward because their entire lives are given to the service of the Lord. And when he numbers them, the number that is listed is 22,000. And then he says the total number of the firstborn in Israel are 22,273. These are the details you typically skim over when you're reading. Why did he do that? Well, he goes on and he says, well, you know that 273 that aren't accounted for by a Levite? Uh, you're going to have to pay me a tax for those guys. You're going to have to pay a tithe to cover the 200, because all the firstborn belong to me. That's what the Lord says. So the Levites replace the firstborn. And they're given to do the work of the tabernacle. That would be the setting up of the tabernacle, the sacrifices that need to take place, the tearing down of the tabernacle, the transportation of the tabernacle. It was portable, right, as they were moving around in the wilderness. That's a lot of work. That was the job of the Levites. And that work of the sacrifices and the offerings in the tabernacle, well, that is the service of worship. That's leading the congregation of Israel in worship through the sacrifices and offerings in the temple or the tabernacle. Now, since Romans 15.4 is true, and we looked at that last week, that the Old Testament scriptures are written for our learning, that must mean, right, that there are actual practical applications that we can learn and apply in our lives today from the Levitical priesthood. Okay? So, got your thinking caps on? This is really not that hard. We're going to begin to see some things. We'll start with this. We are New Testament priests. We are New Testament priests. The Bible could not be clearer. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. In case that wasn't clear enough, Jesus himself addresses in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, John writes, the human author, to the seven churches, well, part of the churches, which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, there's your authority, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from his sins in his own blood. Notice, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus Christ to the churches has made us kings 
and priests. Now, you got to get your dispensations right. you got to get your theology right. And so you need to understand that right now, our lives, after we receive Christ as our Savior, we serve as priests, not kings. We're not ruling over anybody. But there'll be a time when we can rule and reign with him after we enter into the millennial inheritance with him. So priests now, kings later. But he's ordained that that's the way that's the way it's going to work with the church. And so praise the Lord for that. So as a result, we shouldn't be surprised to see spiritual parallels for our life in all those different areas that I previously mentioned to you, only now in the body of Christ. In other words, we as the church are not numbered with the other peoples of this world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we are new creatures. We're different. We're no longer Jews or Gentiles. We're sons of God. We receive no physical inheritance from the Lord here on earth earth in this life anyways because our inheritance is the lord it's the lord himself we don't believe in what's commonly referred to as replacement theology a lot of people think that the church has fully and totally replaced israel israel's never coming back again that's a heresy that's wrong they would do that and thinking that they can then claim all the physical promises that god gave to abraham and israel in the old testament well that's an error we don't believe that Okay, so we don't have physical inheritance here. We are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, y'all, we literally physically replace Jesus Christ, the firstborn son. That's what we do. That's our job here. We're called to do the work of God. We call that the Great Commission. And our lives should be all about worship and helping others to worship the Lord through a system of spiritual sacrifices. You see, the Levites served in the tabernacle. Again, later it became a temple when it was permanent. They served in the tabernacle as priests. And ultimately, a priest is a mediator, meaning that they would go into this tabernacle and they would go before God on behalf of man. And then they would come out and they would go before men on behalf of God. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're to go before God on behalf of men, we call that intercessory prayer. And we're to go before men on behalf of God. We call that evangelism, right? We're to do this work of the Lord. There was one high priest back in those days. His name was Aaron and, and his family who pictures our one high priest, Jesus Christ. But there were many other priests, all the Levites, that served Aaron and the tabernacle and, by extension, all the people. So the priests served in the tabernacle or the temple. So you need to notice the next point is that the church is the new temple of God. The New Testament could not be clearer. Again, let me just make it clear. The tabernacle is nothing more than a portable temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? That's easy. Why is that? The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The temple, the tabernacle in the wilderness was the place where God would come down and where would he meet with Aaron the high priest? In the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. Why was it called the Holy of Holies? Well, because God showed up there. Why was it the tabernacle? Because God came down to dwell or tabernacle among the people. And it was in the tabernacle or ultimately the temple. The New Testament uses the word temple, so that's why I keep switching it out. 
So he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. We often emphasize how I, as an individual believer, am the temple. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I get that. I do want to point your attention to the words of Scripture where it says ye, meaning plural, you all. The Southerners got it right, y'all. Y'all, plural, are the temple, singular, of God. The church is the temple. The church is the temple. Ephesians 2, it says it again, 19 to 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We are a holy temple. Why? Because God dwells in us. That's why. 2 Peter 2.5, we saw earlier, ye also as lively stones are built a spiritual house, right, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. For example, in Hebrews 13.5, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we offered spiritual sacrifices this morning. Praise the Lord for that. So in the Old Testament, the people had to go to the temple to meet God. But in the New Testament, the temple goes out to the people so the people can know God. In the Old Testament, the Levites served in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, we serve in the church. In the Old Testament, the Levites led the congregation to worship the Lord through physical sacrifices. And in the New Testament, we lead the people to to worship the Lord through spiritual sacrifices. You see the parallels? What does the Levitical priesthood have to do with me? Let me just tell you something. God took the service of the Levites very seriously. In fact, they had to do everything that they did. All those details that you read and maybe gloss over a little bit, all those things, they had to do it just right or else. Or else. Which means it is possible to serve the Lord unacceptably. You need to know that. It is possible to serve the Lord and it still not be acceptable. People say, well, if that's the case, I just won't serve. Okay, well, you roll the dice. (laughs) Numbers chapter 3 starts out, verse 3 and 4. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office, and Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord. In the wilderness of Sinai, they had no children. Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. These guys were offering the sacrifices, but they didn't do it right. They took some shortcuts. They did some things that weren't prescribed specifically the way God specifically prescribed that they be done. We could apply it this way. Just being busy doing churchy things, wherever that is. Just being busy doing churchy things does not guarantee that you're doing what the Lord prescribed, and maybe more importantly, how he prescribed it. 
You see, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, so that you can know specifically what God asked of you and how he asked you to carry it out. We announced earlier this morning that in the 1st of October, we have our certainty conference. Well, that's a really important time where we clear off a space and we study a subject, and that subject this year is the local church, and let me just tell you, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the local church these days. And there's a lot of liberties that are be taken by a lot of people doing a lot of things that, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not given the job to judge. All I know is that God has made some things very clear, and, well, we don't want to be the New Testament equivalents of Nadab and Abihu. I know that. But that should make the reading of the law and the story of the Levites, much more interesting to you now. When you go back and circle through the Pentateuch and the books of Moses and you read some of these things, maybe you can keep your eye out for more biblical parallels and applications. Again, the goal today is not to dive into all those things, but to point out that these things are applicable to us today. What does the Levitical priesthood have to do with me? Well, we're the priests of God today. We're the spiritual equivalent in the New Testament of the Levites. We just don't have to do all that physical stuff because, well, we're the spiritual equivalent. Now, if you're interested and if you just want to jot this stuff down, this is up to you. I'm just going to throw some stuff out to you to consider for your further study because you can take this parallel now and you can now be more interested in digging into the book of Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and get some of the facts that come out from these things and see what kinds of things God might have for you personally. For example, there are requirements for service as a Levitical priest. There's a certain amount of preparation that had to take place in their lives before they would be accepted to be able to serve. It says in one place in Exodus 29 that they had to wash themselves with water. Well, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the washing of the water of the word of God, right? They had to be clean. They had to be clothed with the right kind of garments. There's this whole listing of the kinds of garments that the priesthood wore. Well, that means that they need to have the right covering. You go into the book of Revelation, you find out that the fine linen, well, that's the righteousness of the saints, and you better make sure that you find yourself clothed, lest you find yourself naked standing before the Lord after the judgment seat of Christ. And they were to be anointed with oil, a type of the Holy Spirit of God. They had to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They had a purpose in their life, and the ultimate purpose is given in Exodus 28, and it says, holiness to the Lord. These people were set apart, and they had to show their lives as holy as God is holy. And the way that they were made holy, the way that they were made holy in Exodus 29, 21 is two ways, by the blood and by the oil. By the blood and by the oil. That blood, that's your salvation, man. They had to take that blood and they had to put it on the tip of their right ear and they had to put it on the thumb of the right hand and on the great toe of the right foot. You think, what is that all about? Well, maybe it has something to do with the sanctification and cleansing so that you can hear from the Lord, so that you can work for the Lord, so that you can walk with the Lord. There's things to learn from the Levites. And that oil, that Holy Spirit in your life, well... That's all about your surrender. That's all about you allowing him to lead you and you not carrying that stuff out on your own. Listen, there's a lot to learn. 
But we're not talking about that today. We're moving on. And we're going to look specifically in Numbers chapter 4. And the second point of our study is the timing. This is really what I wanted you to see today. The timing. We had to do the first point so that you see the parallels clearly. The stages of life. Now I'm just going to read seven different verses as we come through Numbers 4. They'll pop up on the screen. You can follow along there or in your Bible if you like. But in Numbers chapter 4, in verse number 3, well, in verse 2, it talks about who they're talking about, a family called Kohath among the house of Levi. So in verse 3, notice it says, From 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, all that entered into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Next, we go down to verses 22 and 23, where it talks about the, fa the family of Gershon. And in verse 23, it says, From 30 years old and upward, until 50 years old, shalt thou number them, all that enter in to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. Then we come down to the next one, verses 29 and 30. In 29, it refers to a family called Merari. And it says in verse 30, From 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, shalt thou number them, everyone that enter into the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. You getting the, you getting the hang of this? Verse number 35, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, everyone that entereth into the service for the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 39, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, everyone that entereth into the service for the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 43, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, everyone that entereth into the service for the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. You got it yet? Verse 47, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, everyone that came to do the service of the ministry and the service of the burden in the tabernacle, of the congregation seven times, seven times in this chapter, God points out from 30 years old and upward even unto 50 years old. Apparently, there's something special about the ages 30 to 50. Apparently, God wants us to understand that. They're all doing the work of the tabernacle. They were to be done by men who are between 30 and 50. You interested? This is good stuff. Why would that be? Okay, well, before we get into it, I want you to notice a couple of things. There's an Old Testament character we mentioned already, and that's Joseph. And I mean, Joseph is the man. Joseph is arguably the or one of the greatest types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, for sure, in more specific points of his life, parallel the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can just guess how old Joseph was when he stood before Pharaoh and took command of that feeding project in Egypt, 30 years old. The only other person that maybe comes close to Joseph, maybe exceeds him, it depends on your perspective, as the greatest type of Jesus Christ in all the Old Testament is King David. Do you know how old David was when he took reign as king? You, of course you know. He was 30. He was 30. And they are the greatest types of Jesus Christ in all the Old Testament, in all the Bible, in fact. So now maybe it makes sense why Jesus didn't get baptized and begin his public ministry until he was 30 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but I get it. When you're in your teens, I don't care how skilled you are. When you're in your early 20s, I don't care you know, how, how good you are at things. It takes time for us to figure stuff out and... You know, by the time you're 30, hopefully you figured some stuff out and you'll do better. Okay, generally speaking, but, but Jesus? I mean, he could have rolled out at 12 if he wanted to. I mean, he's, he's the man, right? I mean, he, no, he waited till 30 because there's something about that, right? There's just something special about the ages 30 to 50. 
So what I want to do is dig a little deeper into this stages of life thing in ministry, and we're going to see a pattern. So in your notes on the back, you have a chart, and I'm going to be talking through this chart, and I just want you to kind of follow along. Instead of the normal running commentary and notes, I, well, I went to school for engineering, and I like charts. So you got a chart. But in the book of Numbers, we're going to start breaking it down. We see the ages 0 to 20. And in the ages 0 to 20, well, if you go back to Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 3, that's when they numbered the men from 20 and upward. That means that from 0 to 20, now listen, man, I, I want you all to just be patient with me, okay? I mean, just be kind, you all sitting around this area. But we're just, we're just reading the Bible. Don't get mad at me. Up until you're 20, you, you don't count. <laughs> Now, I appreciate the laughs because that was what I was shooting for. <laughs> all that means, it doesn't mean you don't matter. All that means is you don't count yet as adults. That's all. What that means is, is that biblically speaking, in this economy, it's considered the time of childhood. That's what, that's what it means, okay? Now, now, I have some more clarification apparently because I can just feel it on this side. Childhood, really? Right? Our youth is like, come on, man, really? Um, let, 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 me just, let me just clarify. In the category of childhood, that just means that somebody else is taking care of you. That's what it means. It means that you don't have any particular adult responsibility cast upon you, which, y'all, I'm, I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm hoping we can keep our friendship going. Okay, so... <laughs> You don't have any particular adult responsibility thrust upon you, generally speaking, right? So I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you particularly like that. <laughs> you particularly like the fact that there's not a ton of adult responsibility cast upon you. And although, in your mind, I know you think you're all grown up. I know you think you know more than your parents know. I know that you think you got it figured out, and you're adults now because your body's bigger. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is, you're also kind of grooving with that idea that, yeah, but I, don't, I mean, don't, I don't have to, like, have a job and pay taxes or nothing. I mean, I don't have to, you don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. So let's just roll with what God said, and he didn't count you as adults yet. You're in the category of childhood, and, and, and that's what he's helping us to under. Look, at the end of the day, really, the only thing people in childhood need to do is grow up healthy and happy. Just grow up healthily and happily. That, that's really all you need to do. What's the key responsibility of children? Well, the key responsibility of children is to obey. That's all it is. It's to obey. You learn to submit to authority. You learn to follow those that God has put in your life. And both Testaments bear this out. So in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 21... It says, starting in verse 18, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey, there it is, the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have cha uh, chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out to the elders of his city and unto the gates of his place. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. Oh, my. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. 
So, my friends, can we all just give God a prayer of thanks that we're born in the New Testament? <laughs> Seriously, can we just say hallelujah? Man, it's good to be born in the New Testament. Listen, as ridiculous as that scenario may sound to some of you, I don't know, but I want you to know that God is serious about children learning to obey their parents. He's serious about that thing. They're your God-given authorities. And let me just tell you, if that goes unchecked, there's serious consequences for you later in life too. So the New Testament, of course, bears it out. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That comes from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, we have the negligence of such. Verses 1 and 2, we've seen this frequently recently. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men, notice, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, bl proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. You see, these are men now, rebellious men, who apparently never learned that simple lesson when they were children. So the days in which we live are perilous. They're perilous. So, 0 to 20, that's what we got. Next stage of life, 20 to 30. And again, we're going back to Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 3 because the counting begins at 20. So that means that when you click over into 20, you're not a teenager anymore. Well, you're just old enough to be counted. You're just old enough, and, and the context is able to go forth to war, to serve in armies. But since you're just old enough to begin to be counted, if you're in your 20s, well, you're a young adult. That's who you are, of course. You're a young adult, or as the Bible refers to it in other places, young men. You're men, but you're young men, of course. So what's the key responsibility for young men? Well, there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. I chose to use the word exercise. Exercise. In other words, it's, time, it's the time in which you develop and you prepare for the battle of life. You can send those 20-year-olds out into battle, but their first day, they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, you've got to help them. They've got to figure it out, and you've got to help them figure it out. So we come into the New Testament in 1 John chapter 2, and a lot of you are familiar with this. In verse 12 where it says, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And notice, I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So they're all about fighting. It goes on and repeats them. I write unto you little children, because you have known the father. I've written unto you fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men. Here it is, and it elaborates. Because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So a young man, according to Proverbs 20 and 29, is known for his strength. That's what a young man is known for. You see, in your 20s, this is the stage of life where physically your body is developing and, and you're ready to take it out for a test drive. Spiritually, well, the Word of God by this time in your life should abide in you. And so you take that out for a test drive and you're ready to take on the world and the devil and get into fights and arguments with cults and people over doctrine and all those kind of things. And Well, a young man typically is stronger than he is smart. 
<laughs> he's growing up, but he's, he's really strong, and, well, you know, we're working on wisdom. <laughs> so that's what, that's what I want you to see. In your 20s, you have high energy, but low wisdom. You just don't have enough experience yet. You have a lot of strength. You have a lot of ability. Your life is changing. You're an adult, but you're a young adult. You're a young adult. So the wisdom is low. There's still plenty of youthful mistakes being made through your 20s. Face it. Everybody knows that. Well, all of us that are older know that. Someone in their 20s is still learning. They're still developing. Most of society recognizes that Real maturity isn't assigned to you until you're 30. And I know if you're in your 20s and you're approaching 30, you're thinking, oh, that's going to be awful. I'm officially old when I'm 30. I know that's what you think. But let me just tell you, man, I mean, it really gets cranked up at 30. Like, y'all ought to just hurry up to get 30s. Awesome. We'll get there in a second. And that's what the Lord apparently has something to say about 30 to 50, right? But this is important. If you're in your 20s and, and you're doing, I mean, you're, you're in the zone. You're doing what? Excuse me, you're doing well. You're kind of still in training. You're exercising your skills for the real adult assignment of life, which begins at 30. That's what you need to see. So that's our next one, from 30 to 50. Now, all those verses, we've already read them in Numbers chapter 4. They all reference doing the work of the tabernacle. Just imagine how much work there was to be done in that portable temple of the Lord as you read through all those details of those sacrifices. All the serious work and load carrying that had to go on with taking down and moving and setting up this tent in the wilderness and different families had different assigned responsibilities not unlike in a family of a church. Different people have different assigned responsibilities because you have different giftings to be able to do them. So the sons of Merari were responsible for the boards and the pillars and the sockets. You see, they were the ones that set up the structure, the skeleton structure of the tabernacle. Then the sons of Gershon, they were responsible for the tent and the coverings and the hangings and the cords. They were the ones that covered the structure that made the walls, and the sons of Kohath, well, they were the ones responsible for the ark and the candlesticks and the altars and the vessels. They were the ones responsible for the furnishings of the tabernacle, plus all the work of carrying out the sacrifices and the offerings and the animals and the cleanup and all the things that would have had to do with that. You see, at this stage of life, you're no longer considered a young adult. You're just an adult. And I just chose, for the sake of this message today, to call, to call it a prime adult. Because you're in the prime of your life. Amen. You're in the prime of your life. You're figuring it out until this point. This 20-year section, and man, for those of us that are over 50, I'm one of them. 20 years, man, it just don't last that long. <laughs> but for that 20-year section of your life, man, you're in the zone. That is the prime get-or-done years of your life. And if you don't get her done in that section of time in your life, you're never going to get her done. It's just not going to happen. You've slept through it. You're still in the wilderness wandering around. 
That's the prime of your life. What's the key responsibility for a prime? Well, of course, it's work. In the Old Testament, in Numbers 18, it says that this work in the tabernacle, it was a gift from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord. These Levites worked and served Aaron like we work and serve Jesus. Our work is a gift. Our service to the Lord is a gift. Go back to 1 John chapter 2 where we saw the little children and the young men. Well, this would be the stage that parallels a father. Because physically speaking, if you're between 30 and 50, well, these are the years that typically people are raising their children to grow to adulthood. These are the years where people are settled into their life's career. Spiritually, this should be the time in your life where you have spiritual children you've led to the Lord and you are growing them up and raising them and you should be settled, well settled into your area of ministry focus. And that's because from 30 to 50, you have the perfect balance of energy and wisdom. From 30 to 50, by the time you click over into 30, you still have tons of energy, but you've learned some things in that decade of your 20s. You've learned some of the dumb things that you let yourself get away with that you realize, man, it's time to, I know you hate this word, settle down. It's time to calm down a little bit and be a little more responsible. You have a lot more wisdom when you enter into your 30s and 40s. And you still have plenty of energy to get done. So, man, this is the sweet spot. These are the prime years for you to do whatever it is you need to do. 30 to 50. 30 to 50. All right, moving on. The next one, 50 to 70. And we're going to jump ahead to Numbers chapter 8 for this and look in verse number 23 where it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is it that belongeth unto the Levites from twenty and five years old and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and from the age of fifty years they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and to do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. So after fifty, they are to stop working. Now, (laughs) that does not say retire. That does not say that. They are to stop doing one thing so that they can begin doing something else, right? They shall serve no more, but shall minister still with their brethren to do what? To keep the charge. To keep the charge, but do no service. Keep the charge, but do no service. So their main responsibility is no longer at this stage of life to get all the work done themselves. Because these are not young men, and they're not even in their prime anymore, sad to say. We are mature adults. The Bible word is elders. Elders. Elder, literally, just means older. But it brings with it the understanding, more mature, experienced, wise. Wise. You know, we used to respect our elders in this country a long time ago. That's that's fleeting. 
There's cultures in this world today that still do a really good job of respecting the elderly just for the sake that they've lived more years and they deserve it. They sure deserve it. But today, it seems like, well, we just don't care about that anymore. What's the key responsibility then for elders? Well, it's to teach. It's not so much to do, it's to teach. It's to lead and to train and to direct others. That's the idea of keeping the charge. You're charging others. You're making sure that the work gets done by others. But it says to do no service yourself. It's not you to get it all done yourself anymore. The people in this stage are to teach and to train. Well, who's their target audience for training? Well, it's got to go back to the people in their 20s, right? Because they're the ones preparing to get ready to do the work in their 30s. You see how that goes? That's what that's all about. And can I just throw this out there for all of us elders? You can only teach what you have done. I know modern universities don't follow that philosophy anymore. I know they put professors up in front of you that all they've ever done is sit in a classroom. And they've never actually practiced what they teach you to be able to do. They've never done it. But they're not the best teachers you can have. The best teachers you can ever get are teachers who have actually performed what they're telling you to do. And you know they know, they know what they're talking about because they've done it, right? So if you've made it to 50 and 60 and 70 and you've never really done anything, well, you're, you're fairly limited in what you can teach. So all of this is a system and all of it works together. Now this idea of elders in the New Testament, it's widespread. I have several references to show you and Acts 14.23 is the first one. When they had ordained them elders in every church. You see, there need to be elders in every church and ordained and set apart. Prayed with fasting, commended them unto the Lord on whom they believed. See, people need to be established as leaders in every church. That's important. Acts 15.2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas, who had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others, other of them, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. In other words, the elders are the ones who should deal with the hard questions. Those are the ones. Uh, Acts 16.4, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. You see, the elders are the ones who set in place the charge. They charge the others with decrees that they need to keep. They're the apostles and elders that do that. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So there's a, an element of ruling and leading at this stage of life. Verse 19 of that chapter, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, so they are to be respected. And 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, likewise ye younger submit yourselves Unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So we are to submit ourselves, the younger, to the elder. That's the way God set it up. Why? Listen, that should all make sense for us because from 50 to 70, you have a lot of wisdom, but <laughs> let me just tell you, the energy's going down. I mean, as much as I loved the assignment God had for me after I turned 30, to go back and do it all again from scratch at this point in life, I'm tired thinking about it. 
I mean, I think I'm going to wrap this up now and just go take a nap, just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm so thankful for what I had the privilege to be a part of, but that wore me out, man. I, I'm just going to tell you, you, you just, you just, the energy just goes down. But if it weren't for that, I love getting older. I know more people. I know more stuff. I'm smarter than I used to be. I have more friends around the world. It's just that my body hurts. <laughs> if it weren't for that, right? And these guys in this stage are not to be the ones who are setting up the boards and hanging the skins and putting the cords. And Can you imagine, can you imagine the guys in their 50 to 70? I mean, not everybody's Dean Detweiler. I mean, you've got to be able to haul that brazen altar that thing is five foot by five foot by I think like four feet high made of brass and you're gonna send the old guys out to haul that come on man they're gonna pull something that ain't <laughs> God's thinking he loves us man he's like teach them how to do it right you know bend use your legs okay teach them <laughs> so some of you are sitting there I know what you're thinking why'd you stop at 70 well, because of Psalm 90 and verse 10 is why. The days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, well, uh, okay, if by reason of strength. So the, the typical life expectancy would be around 70. Now, I get it. In America, it's higher now and all that sort of thing. David took the reign as king at 30, and he reigned until he died at 70, for example. But the typical lifespan that you can expect, according to Psalm 90, is 70 years. And if you get more than that, praise the Lord. Keep doing what you were doing from 50 to 70. Do it to 75. Do it to 80. Do it to 85. Do it as far as God gives it to you. As long as you have the ability to do it, keep doing it. There isn't a 70 to 90 stage. This is it. This is it. It's, it's 50 till you're done. How about that? And that's important because... There is no room in the scriptures for inactivity. There is no retirement. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there's no discharge in that war. We support a brother who is an Israeli and has a church, and he was here visiting us last month, and he made the comment, he's in his mid-60s now, and he's going strong, God bless him, he's wonderful, and he made the statement, he said, man, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, until they throw dirt on my face. That's what he said. And I looked at him funny. He said, I know that sounds weird. He said, but that's literally the expression we use in Israel. That when a person dies, you know, they actually don't use, you know, caskets and whatnot. They just bury the person and they throw dirt on them. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord until they throw dirt on my face. Well, that's the idea. That's the idea. He's got it. He understands it, right? Now, in case you were paying attention while I read earlier in Numbers chapter 8, you notice that it says they started at verse 25. How many of you heard that? <laughs> it ain't 30, right? No, it says it started at verse 25. But if you look carefully at the words, go back and read it on your own, it was not to do the work of the tabernacle at 25, but rather specifically said to wait upon the service of the tabernacle. What that actually does is it points toward an internship program where the younger men in their 20s learn the service of the tabernacle by serving the men in their 30s and 40s who are doing the work of the tabernacle. 
And the reason I feel like this is very clearly understood is not just because we have the example of people like Paul and Timothy, that Timothy came to minister to Paul until ultimately he was set up on his own. But even the time of King David, by the time you get to 1 Chronicles 23 and 24, David is reassigning the age down to 20. So again, you have people 20, 25, they're waiting upon the others. Uh, Hand me that wrench, okay, or whatever it might be. They're waiting, they're helping, they're helpers, they're interns. That's literally what they are. Now, these parameters, these stages of life, they're kind of like dispensations. They're not hard, fast rules. You don't click over one night to the next day and, well, that you know, dispensational law is over. We're in grace today, brother. Um, there's always a transition, and these are general guidelines. Okay, obviously, not everybody hits it exactly. Uh, I can tell you that it worked out this way in my life. I can tell you that although I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I got saved when I heard the gospel for the first time. It was at age 21. My 20s were all about learning. I was active, I was busy, I was doing things, I was studying, and the Word of God slowly but surely was beginning to abide in me. And lo and behold, the time when the call came for me to step out and trust the Lord and be a career foreign missionary was at the age of 30. And I went and I served in that country for 14 years and ultimately then you know, came back here and became your pastor at age 47. Again, these aren't hard, fast rules, but when I came here, I began to shift in my responsibility from the one who has to carry the load all the time to making sure the work gets done and teaching and training people in their 20s. Well, anybody really, of course, but a target audience would be y'all in your 20s, right? So that when you get to your prime of life, you're ready to hit it running. So this becomes the focus of how we can gauge where we are and what we should be doing. These are just generalities, okay? So don't, you know, say, well, you know, I'm only 29. I can't do that yet. No, I mean, we're just, we, we, could, think of, we could think of Kale, who is raising support to be a career missionary. He's currently 28. It'll take him a year to raise his money, maybe longer. I don't know. He'll be 29, maybe 30 when he goes to Hungary. Uh, Corey Vansickle, 28, 29, something like that. He's going to spend a year internship in Albania. By the time he's done, he'll be ready to be a missionary. He'll be 30. I mean, it just works out. It just works out that way. It just does. And you say, well, I know a guy. Well, okay, that's fine. Exception proves the rule. But generally speaking, and I've interviewed tons of people, there, there is in a, if, if you've been saved when you were young and you grew up trying to do what's right, by the time you get to be around 30, more or less, you look back in your life, I'll bet there was a significant decision you made in your life of how you would serve the Lord and you would be serious about it and quit playing around. That's just the way the Lord set that up. What does the Levitical priesthood have to do with me anyway, right? So in your chart, you do have a few blanks, and it's you know, put upon me to make sure you know what they are. If you're in the stage of childhood, the lesson of life is to know God's grace. Just to know God's grace. I mean, get saved and understand your Heavenly Father loves you. If you're in your 20s, the lesson of life is to know God's Word. 
Man, you should be cranking out Bible study. You should be referencing and cross-referencing and understanding and getting into doctrine and being able to understand the deeper things of the Word of God in that stage of your life. That's what you should be doing. It should abide in you. But in your 30s to 50s, man, you should know God's work because this is the time to get busy. And it's not just theory anymore. You need to get your hands and feet dirty and get in there and do it. By the time you're in that last stage, 50 to 70, you just know God. Through all those things that you've done, you know the Father. You know Him. And you've known Him from the beginning. You have years and years and years of experience just walking with Him. These are very practical things. Now, we have in our church something that you've probably all seen before. It's the path of growth. And these little four circles, it just so happens that there's four of them. Attend, learn, engage, and lead. And attend, we could compare to the stage of childhood. It's like the kids in the church. They attend. Why? Because their parents make them. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Young men are learning. That's what young men do. They're getting trained. They're practicing. They're letting God's word abide in them. Fathers are engaged, right? They're able to reproduce spiritually. They're getting to work for the Lord. And leaders, well, that's elders. That's who they are. They're teaching and training others. Listen, y'all, we don't just throw this stuff together because we stole it off a website. We actually study to put something in front of you that's on purpose, y'all. I mean, come on. That sounded like I was bitter. I don't mean that. Look, you need to get on the path of growth. If you're not on the path, you're not growing. And if you find yourself at some age that doesn't fit where maybe you think you should have been, who cares? Accept where you're at and take the next step. That's all that matters. Just do that. Redeem the time. The days are evil. So you decide how the Lord has spoke to you. What stage of life are you currently in physically? Well, what stage of life are you currently in spiritually? They may not be the same. And I guess the question for application is this. Are you faithfully fulfilling the responsibilities associated with that stage? That's the question. All right, let's go to the